What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with a conversation, a soapbox sermon, if you will, on LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. But what else are we going to talk about? This team just gives us fodder by the day. Before we get started, please remember to continue rating and reviewing and subscribing wherever you consume us. If you're on YouTube, hit the sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. We have a lot of fun around here. Join our Discord. Follow us on the socials. All those links are in our podcast and YouTube descriptions. And subscribe to the actual podcast from a podcast player and download every episode. Cross-subscribing will help us a ton. So get on your phone, use Apple and Spotify, Google, Stitcher, whatever you use, the whole nine to subscribe and download every episode. And then continue to follow along on YouTube. Uh, we do post exclusives on TikTok, IG, YouTube as, as well from time to time. But I think with that, it's time to talk about LeBron James and, and Instagram captions because i'm an adult we're all adults around here and this is what we need to talk about not 24 hours after the los angeles lakers dropped to 0 and 4 in the season lebron posted a kind of cryptic but not totally instagram caption thursday that has reading between the lines sleuths buzzing how long will you be taken for granted keep going kid is what it said Perhaps this caption is a code for absolutely nothing. Maybe it's an innocuous nod to the picture of a 37-year-old soaring through the air, defying age and gravity, and by extension, science. This post might be LeBron's way of saying, nobody appreciates what I'm doing at my age, at this level, nearly enough. And he'd be right. His longevity is acknowledged and cherished, but there is no fully comprehending or treasuring his lastingness. Counterpoint, though. Yeah, no, that's not what this caption is doing. It can't be. The timing is too incidental to be coincidental. He's sending a message. He has to be. The 2022-2023 Lakers are spiraling, and LeBron, it seems, is fed up. And on the surface, he has every right to be. Next season isn't a given for him. He turns 38 on December 30th, giving him precious little time to play meaningful basketball, no matter how much of a generational anomaly his aging curve remains. But the Lakers are nowhere near playing meaningful basketball, let alone actually sniffing title contention. Sure, four games doesn't have to be profoundly telltale, but Los Angeles' winless start is merely the sum of all its longstanding flaws actualized. Russell Westbrook remains a putrid fit on offense. Trading for him while also bankrupting their wing depth during the 2021 offseason was an obviously bad decision then, and it looks even worse now. To what extent Russ deserves blame here, though, is questionable. He has not reinvented himself on offense as a high-volume ball screener or reliable spot-up threat. That's not a surprise. He didn't undergo functional fate slips in Oklahoma City or Houston or Washington. Expecting him to dramatically change in Los Angeles nearly 15 years into his career is an irrational hope. It's a minor miracle he's played so hard on defense this season, if we're being honest. None of this means he's above critique. Before su suffering that hamstring injury, he was shooting 8.3% from deep and 35.8% on twos. Both marks would be career lows and are absolutely positively disgusting. Between his gargantuan $47.1 million salary, critically bad offensive play, and just his overall poor fit, Westbrook has received a lion's share of the blame, as if his very presence is the lone barrier separating the Lakers from contention, or at the bare minimum, Simply not sucking. It's not. The Lakers as a team are shooting a league-worst 22.7% from three and ranked dead last in points scored per possession overall. That's not all Russ. Everyone shares in the bricklaying. Anthony Davis has verged on dominant for stretches, but followed up last year's sub-19% clip from three with another sub-19% clip from three so far. 
Kendrick Nunn is a career 36.1% shooter from deep and is currently nailing just 23.5% of his trays while also having notched more fouls, seven, and turnovers, nine, than assists, six. Patrick Beverly is a career 37.6% three-point sniper, yet presently joins AD in the sub-19% club. LeBron himself is banging in just 25.7% of his triples, which would be a career low. Lonnie Walker IV, meanwhile, is second on the Lakers in three-point attempts, which he's burying at a 17.4% clip. Merely removing Westbrook from the equation solves very little. He wasn't on the floor when the Lakers lost to the Nuggets, and their lineups on the season, in which LeBron and AD play without Russ, remain offensive clunk fests and in the net negatives. Anyone bellowing obscenities at Russ from the stands or behind the protection of an avatarless social media account is, one, overdue for some serious soul-searching, and two, misplacing most of the blame. The Lakers are not built by Westbrook or in the image of Westbrook. They were assembled by general manager Rob Palinka and the rest of the front office. A majority of the outrage must be directed there across so many different fronts. Palinka and company's cardinal sin remains the same. They watched the Lakers win a title in 2020 by surrounding LeBron and AD with complimentary shooting and defenders, and then decided not a full year later to dismantle that nucleus in favor of what Westbrook might possibly potentially, if they're lucky, be able to sort of do when one of the two greatest basketball players of all time wasn't on the floor. That is watertight logic. So is letting Alex Caruso, one of their most important defenders, walk in free agency on a contract that was neither egregious nor outside the Lakers' price range. With one of the GOAT candidates on their roster still playing like a superstar, the Lakers acted like a small market franchise. Equally inexcusable, doing so little in the aftermath of last year's implosion. Yes, the Lakers turned over their supporting cast, but only because most of that supporting cast is now out of the NBA. There's nothing noble about steering into decisions made for you or for stockpiling largely ball-dominant guards. Almost everyone's favorite pastime is now leaking Westbrook trades the Lakers could have made but didn't. That is damning. It suggests a complete lack of urgency in the face of an extremely urgent situation, that being LeBron's timeline. He should absolutely be pushing them to make a move, any move, just for the sake of increasing the meaning behind their largely purposeless basketball. Yes, the cost of doing so is prohibitive. Trading 2027 and 2029 first rounders that likely post-date the LeBron era is dangerous. It's one thing if those two picks ended up bagging them Kyrie Irving or another star. It's entirely different to punt on such a massive portion of your future in exchange for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, or for Josh Richardson and Jakob Pertl, or for Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. And the Lakers' current dilemma doesn't help matters. They are so deeply broken beyond the Westbrook fit, they might be irreparable. Why mortgage crucial assets just to not contend and potentially eat into this summer's cap space? The answer, because you have LeBron fucking James. Patience isn't a virtue. Not in this case. The Lakers waiting for the trade market to expand doesn't ensure they'll have access to superior deals. Better options will incite more competition. And their best package, while steep for them, can be easily outstripped by teams capable of conveying a first-round pick sooner than five drafts from now. Urgency is at once obligatory and essential. The Lakers haven't shown it. They've done everything but. They've made head coach Frank Vogel the scapegoat. 
they hired head coach Darvin Ham, at least in part because he sold them on making it work with Russ. Yet again, implying that Russ is the lone obstacle they must overcome. Amid all these missteps over the past year and change, the Lakers extended Palenka for some reason, even though he's the architect of perhaps the NBA's most disjointed roster. That's worth another few dozen or so kind of cryptic, but not totally Instagram captions from LeBron. What's left of his window is being squandered. And Palenka, along with all the other folks upstairs, including Jeannie Buss, should be thoroughly blamed for being so slow or unwilling to appropriately act. And yet, while the Lakers are no question taking LeBron for granted, he is not beyond culpability. He reportedly pushed for the team to acquire Westbrook in the first place. It is Palenka's job to override that input from his star, from his superstar, whenever necessary. But we can't pretend like LeBron has been a voiceless bystander. What's more, unless the Lakers promised to jettison Westbrook before the start of this season and then reneged at the last second, LeBron still signed a two-year extension knowing this was the roster on which he'd be playing. That is eyes-wide-open behavior, and it must factor into the blame game currently being played. Still, even with all this in mind, the mess that is this season and this team falls at the feet of Palinka in the front office. It doesn't matter if LeBron wanted Russ, and it doesn't matter if the Lakers are so far gone. It actually doesn't make sense to ship out their draft picks. It doesn't matter. Trade the picks anyway. Get better now. Figure out how to reload the war chest later. AD and LeBron trades will be on the table in the coming years if your direction goes belly up once again. Palinka and company pivoted away from a proven blueprint into aimless territory more than a year ago, and they've yet to even sort of pull themselves out from the resulting freefall. That is franchise malpractice. And so LeBron will soon turn 38, somehow still performing at a level high enough to contend for titles on a team run by a front office that, frankly, doesn't seem to give a shit. The next thing we absolutely have to talk about is the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they have a... They've had some better games. Their loss to the Mavericks on Thursday night was encouraging in many ways with the aggression you saw from Kyrie even some Ben Simmons moments, but they have a Ben Simmons problem. And it was it was really underscored during that Bucks, that Bucks loss. Early in the third quarter of that Wednesday night loss to Milwaukee, Kyrie attempted to distill what the team needs from Ben Simmons down to three words. Shoot it, Ben brevity can lack context and Kyrie doesn't take the time to stop break the fourth wall and explain into the camera everything else the Nets need from Simmons he's also not wrong Simmons was two of seven from the floor in Milwaukee and three of seven versus Dallas and is now 12 of 27 from the floor on the season the loss to the Bucks specifically marked the second time this year Simmons finished with at least as many fouls as points he has tallied now 28 points against 22 fouls through his five games and the Nets have been outscored by a total of 42 points during his minutes on the floor. That's the sixth worst mark in the league among 120 players who have logged as many minutes so far. Of course, the two most important words in that previous sentence might just be five games. That sample size is nothing. Early season stats get warped every night. Plus minus in particular isn't always telltale. KD owns the second worst mark in the league from that 120 player group I just referenced. Leeway needs to be given. Simmons is still working through his return from back surgery, a 16th month long absence and a well-documented yet poorly covered mental health struggle. Players don't always return to previous form. 
And Simmons also tweaked his back in that one game against the Bucs. We saw him on the bike, riding it on the sidelines when he wasn't in the game to stay loose. Kyrie, once again, eloquently noted this after Brooklyn's loss to Milwaukee. He wasn't, he didn't need to address it after the loss to Dallas. He said, you guys keep coming in here asking me, like, what about Ben? He hasn't played in two years. Give him a fucking chance. We stay on his shit. You just stay on him. But we're here to give him positive affirmations. Does screaming, shoot it, Ben, while waving your arms and jumping up in apparent exasperation count as positive affirmation? Who's to say? I'm not trolling this. Uh, trolling him either. I did not interpret Kyrie's reaction to Simmons looking off a layup in favor of a KD jumper as ironclad support. But Kyrie deserves nothing less than the benefit of the doubt after that little quote. Dropping F-bombs is proof of positive affirmation in my book. Still, Simmons has been a problem for the Nets at both ends, and it's okay to say that. Citing facts is not akin to personal attacks or declaring his career over. Maybe he needs more time, but at this exact moment, his play is an issue. The defense should be fine, and we even saw that at points with the Mavericks. That turnover he was able to force um, off a double, you know, going to double Luka was just vintage Ben, being able to create an opportunity for the Nets then in transition. Overall, though, Simmons is not defending with the same circular, unaltering explosion and force and has committed some ticky-tack fouls, sometimes seemingly out of frustration or just disinterest in getting back in transition. To his credit, he's also needed to guard some pretty large humans early on. Giannis, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. The Mavs did a good job of making him avoid reps against Luka Doncic. But like these are assignments he's taking on after such a long absence. It's tough. It's tough. It's just tough. Like rumor has it when you're fully healthy, defending those guys can be tough. A fairly large chunk of Simmons' fouls are also coming on the offensive end. That's either an aberration in the face of unfamiliar usage for him, a slight concern, or maybe it's both. Uh, paint me free from panic on defense for now. Simmons should get healthier and work his way back into game shape. More than that, the Nets, as currently constructed, don't seem built to optimize how he best defends, not even with Nicholas Claxton on the floor. That's a problem, but not necessarily a Simmons problem. His offense is a different story. Relative passivity warrants plenty of panic. The lack of aggression we're seeing now is not rooted solely in his absence and recovery from injury. It's an extension of the warts he's always hinted at. The same ones that seemed to mushroom leading up to what became his final game and hallmark moment with the Philadelphia 76ers. Playing Simmons with non-shooters up front has always been a no-go. Who among us wasn't traumatized from his minutes with Dwight Howard in 2020-2021? The Nets are predominantly slotting him beside non-shooting bigs anyway, and their offense is paying the price. They got away from it over their past couple games. Dayron Sharp didn't even play in their loss to the Mavericks, but in the 87 minutes Simmons and Claxton have logged together this season, Brooklyn's offensive rating sits at a not-so-robust 103.4, and that mark has plunged to 92.1 when Simmons sets up shop beside Dayron Sharp. And yes, when you watch, go back and watch these units, these minutes, the Nets look just as clumpy as the numbers would suggest. Part of this might just be on the offensive structure. The Nets, even when he's the, the big, he won't even be listed as the big, but the Nets are not having Simmons initiate a ton of pick and rolls with Claxton or Sharp. And anytime he spends, anytime he spends off the ball in the half court is largely moot when Claxton and Sharp generally need to occupy the same space, or at least they're not enough of threats from the outside for defenders to occupy different spaces. They're going to be able to close up gaps and just seal off cuts to the basket. If you want to go through with a KD post up playing Simmons without a big is a trendy hypothetical solution. 
I'm going to still emphasize hypothetical here. The Nets haven't leaned on it a ton before their past two games. Simmons logged just 12 possessions outside garbage time without Claxton or Sharp on the court prior to that Bucks loss. Brooklyn, though, like I said, did give those arrangements a more thorough look against the Bucks and the Mavs, and it sort of worked. The lineups finished as a net plus overall, and that setup, when you look at the game against Milwaukee with Simmons as, with, let's call them Simmons without a big, not Simmons as the lone big, they went on a 10-0 run, I think, to close out the half um, and really make that a game and, against Milwaukee and put them on the ropes. Simmons without a big without a big lineups are worth further exploration by default then because what else are the Nets supposed to do? They still can't be viewed as a cure-all. Screening and rolling is not Simmons' natural state, and the Nets have not meaningfully attempted to use him in that vein. They should try more of it, to be sure, especially in pick and rolls with Kyrie or, or KD, please, but this type of usage is largely foreign for Simmons and has never been considered a potential strength. More problematic than anything, though, is Simmons' general lack of aggression. He's averaging 6.3 shot attempts per 36 minutes. That's about half of what he averaged prior to this season for his career. His drives are, not surprisingly, down amid all this. He went from averaging 11.3 drives per game per 36, uh, 11.3 drives per 36 minutes in 2020-2021 to 6.4 right now with Brooklyn. Some of this can once more be traced back to his getting displaced from the ball on Brooklyn. But even his quality moments don't feel the same. Most of his assists aren't coming deep into paint penetration. He's throwing pitch passes or completing handoffs from above the free throw line. He's getting rid of the ball early in transition, which to be fair, isn't necessarily sinister. Maybe this changes in time. Maybe the Nets need to scour the trade market for a stretch big shout out, Miles Turner, shout out Mo Bamba to streamline Simmons's defensive role and open up the half court on offense. Maybe this is just an overreaction to five games. Whatever this is, though, doesn't change what Brooklyn needs from Simmons in the coming days and weeks and months to come. And that's to cease towing the line of offensive invisibility. Let me know what you think in the comments, in the mentions, depending on where you're consuming this. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and the podcast players. Appreciate every single one of you. Until next time, I'll give you a shout out to one, the only, the person who could actually solve and fix everything wrong with the Lakers, Frank Lampina.